Hello, Radio Cachimbona listeners. Welcome to episode 45 of season 5 of Radio Cachimbona. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist podcast that audio archives state repression and fierce migrant resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands and breaks down case line politics from a leftist perspective. As a first generation professional whose parents are Salvadoran immigrants, Yvette prioritizes uplifting the voices and histories of Central Americans. Today, I was really excited to talk about some of the mutual aid organizing that is happening here in Tucson that is addressing the housing crisis in Tucson and how that intersects with the Pima County Board of Supervisors proposal that is being taken under consideration for a new jail that would cost $400 million. And this conversation was about dreaming about alternative projects, endeavors that we could create with that $400 million that is currently being proposed for a new Pima County jail. I was really honored to have V and Savi of Community on Wheels to discuss this. Thank you to the patrons, the monthly subscribers who make this podcast possible for me as an independent podcaster without the support of a network. The latest Patreon is Jordan Wiener. Thank you so much for giving your money to the podcast and allowing me to continue sharing this content with y'all. And thank you to those that have given a five-star review. I really appreciate it. I hope that y'all enjoy this episode. Bye. Hi, Cachimbonas. Today, I am really excited to have Savi and V from Community on Wheels here. I'll give you all a quick bio of theirs before we get into the conversation. V and Savi are both caseworkers who use their expertise and networking skills in providing resources and support to unhoused and recently unhoused individuals, including women, families, and the elderly. Thanks to you both for coming onto the podcast today. Thank you. you. So to get started, I wanted to ask you both, how is it that you first got into mutual aid work? So Cal began in like around late 2020. I bought the van and a few of us would fill milk crates with whatever we had. Cal was born out of both love and anger and both have fueled like me personally as the project keeps going. I don't know if you want to say this, but Savi joined midway through 2021, became my cow partner, or as Savi likes to refer to themselves as the co-bovine operator, <laughs> original term that I hate. Um, and cow has grown and transformed over the years into and from many different wild, quirky things. We're essentially kind of a bunch of queers that just decided to do the project one day Yeah. for many reasons. Yeah, and I stumbled upon, well, my involvement with Cow. I think before that I was um, interested in doing mutual aid work. And this was like going back from like when I was living in New York, I'm originally from New York. Oh, okay. And so like the first three years I was just like mainly focusing on like my work in education and also just like taking care of my child. And during the pandemic, um, when I had a lot of free time and um, my son also just wanted to like be involved with poor community stuff, we were like doing a lot of research on seeing if there were like any mutual aid groups in Tucson and 
started out with Community Care Tucson, which at that time they were doing their whole like Detroit Free Store um, at the Ronstadt Center before the police got involved and the city got involved and like had them move elsewhere. And then you, then you came to the dark side. And then I came to the dark side. <laughs> yeah. How um, did you know to look up mutual aid groups as what you wanted to get involved in? And can you distinguish between mutual aid and charity? Because I think like a lot of people confuse the two. I think it's important to tease that out for folks. Yes. Yes. So I am really passionate about the difference between mutual aid and charity, both in like action as well as like what I speak about or how I speak about it. Because I mean, I can essentially like charity is coming home at the end of the day saying, oh, I did something good. I'm such a good person. Like I'm doing this for you so that I can feel better about myself or like here's something that I'm giving you as a gift because I'm so great. And also we see this in so many larger corporations and big monster companies and, you know, give to this charity and half of, or like a 25% of your donation might go into the hands of somebody that actually needs it. Yeah. There's always like an incentive kind of right. for folks who like give their time or give right. their to these things. And then mutual aid being more of like a collective understanding that we are all part of this community and we need to collectively work together and help each other be sustainable and like be able to meet everyone's needs. We need to be able to just acknowledge that like just because somebody is without a house, that does not mean that they are not neighbors. Like mm-hmm. they are not, you know, they're the exact well, because uh, actually, I really liked that you all teased out the differences between charity and mutual aid work in that way, because a lot of times charity work is framed as the person doing the donating being selfless, when actually you pointed to how that's that's actually very transactional. Mm-hmm. Like people, corporations engage in charity to cover up their like actual fucked up shit that they're doing. And individuals donate to charity to as a tax write-off um you know like with mutual aid work is mutually beneficial but in a much different way because Mm -hmm. it's about collective liberation that's where the mutually beneficial part comes in because it's actually operating under the belief that we're interdependent and we rely on each other and like once we realize that and live that out then we will achieve collective liberation and it's not transactional in the way that the current Mm -hmm. charity framework is transactional Mm -hmm. yeah yeah we are all we have is a slogan for a reason Mm -hmm. that's your slogan no. <laughs> no, no. Ours is oh no, community. we're definitely a charity now. <laughs> ours, is, our slogan is "community is everything," which was me like three years ago, and it's kind of mid. I'm not gonna lie, it's not. <laughs> it's not a great slogan. <laughs> community is everything. Community on wheels. Too but much. Too any, much community. I don't know. It's weird because we end up in these like situations where we find ourselves feeling a little hokey about these things, but it's. You know, at the end of the day, it is pretty true. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with, like, how I ended up researching or knowing to research mutual aid, right before I left New York, a friend of a friend who grew up in Brooklyn their whole lives, they were um, second generation, part of, like, a migrant family. And their family, when they moved here, they ended up just, like, building, um, I believe, like, a hardware store from the ground up. And this person, my friend of a friend, ended up just inheriting the store. And they are a person of color. They're, um, I believe they use she, her pronouns. 
and they didn't want let, to let go of the store and they ended up just turning it into like a cafe that they now use for um lgbtq plus events BIPOC events and during the pandemic that's when they actually started like utilizing the space to start doing mutual aid work i mean i did move but it was it could have been a really good opportunity for me to kind of just like dive in there and work alongside with them so yeah. when i found out about that i was like well I hope there's something like that here. And yeah, again, super too, lucky. Too bad there isn't nothing like that. <laughs> well, no, yeah, nothing on that level. You up. Nothing on that scale. <laughs> but at the same time, like, it was just good to see that there were folks here who did care about this. The idea of just, like, building relationship, building solidarity within the community, which was the thing that um, my friend of her friend was trying to do, where it's like, yeah, we know gentrification is happening in Brooklyn. We know that there are people who are taking advantage of the cheap rents or the, the diversity of food and diversity of culture, but we're going to find ways to like maintain our space here and we're going to make sure that we share this amongst ourselves as well. So yeah, that's pretty much what I was looking for. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, when I talked about like anger as a main drive, at least for myself, I don't know. I think for me, I definitely was always interested. I've done like harm reduction work in the past and like kit making and distribution and stuff like that. Um, but in terms of a recurring and like consistent project, this was the first thing that I had done. And I think the fact that the anger is kind of fueling it is, I don't know, good and bad. (laughs) (laughs) Good and bad. (laughs) Yeah. It's good and bad, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of love in there too, but it's also like, I think everybody in our community collectively is fed up with uh, failed systems and the lack of humanity towards houseless and street-based communities in general here. And if you like pause and look into the ever-worsening crisis here, you see gaps, lack of empathy, the pieces the city has tried to cover up, and there's just a lot of death, mm-hmm. which is also something that's not spoken of often, mm-hmm. and it's infuriating. But lack of medical care, harm reduction, hygiene, food, and water collectively, and all beds are full. Resources are super slim, and the houseless community here is in like a state of absolute emergency, and people are just kind of turning a blind eye, which is also part of like the issue itself is like the city and gentrification here being like, you know, we're going to consistently displace people in a way that takes them away from the public eye enough and then not put funding into the resources that they could utilize to actually get out of those situations, but instead put the money towards essentially gentrifying these areas to consistently push them out. And it's it's a war zone. Like, it legitimately is. It is an absolute state of emergency and the city's not taking action where they should. Yeah. And the other sad part about it, too, is that it's not just something that, like, kind of happened within the course of a few years this has been just like this consistent pattern i mean yeah i think we talked about like the lidio book, Mm -hmm. and like yeah the further in i go with understanding just like the history of tucson the more i'm just like oh my god that just sounds like everything that's happening now Mm -hmm. (laughs) like they're just like keeping this going and like the one thing that i that i'm so proud of and taking part in mutual aid is just like it's an opportunity for us to break those cycles that seem to just continue to oppress people like every single generation or decade or whatever kind of timeline you want to look at it as. Yeah. I appreciate you like talking about the New York organizing 
and how you came to Tucson wanting to find that because I feel like um, there's like obviously intense repression here, but also I think living in the desert has historically made the humans who live here more aware of our dependence on each other. And there is a strong mutual aid culture in the desert. Like there's obviously no more deaths and that sort of ongoing project to make migrant routes a bit more humane. And I think it's really cool that cow is sort of a part of that legacy and like that history. And I appreciate that you all started talking about harm reduction. So wanted to ask you to talk about naloxone training um, and how that fits into your mutual aid model and why it's important for everyone to be trained in how to use it. Oh, I was saying 50-50 because I got shit to say. Well, yeah. So what our training is supposed to do is provide a community solution for um, what's been occurring in Tucson. And I know like it, this is also happening throughout the rest of the country where we're just overcome with an opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. And a place like Tucson where we lack tons of supportive services for folks who are dealing with um, opioid use or, or overdosing, we really just have ourselves to rely on to educate and, and provide whatever resources we can to, to just keep each other safe. Oh, you tagging me? Um, Yeah, so I think naloxone is absolutely crucial and should be one of the, like, is one of the foundations for all mutual aid outreach that happens, like, in the city, just because people are dying in that way extremely. Like, I've reversed five overdoses in 2023, and, yeah, and it's, like, that's, I mean, I know people that have done far more than that. It's fucking horrible. Like, it's absolutely staggering when you look at the amount of, especially nationwide, but even in this city, like, Mm -hmm. the amount of opioid-related overdose deaths compared to, like, anything else. Mm -hmm. It is also absolutely, like, epidemic. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It is, though. It's so fucked up. It's It's an epidemic during the pandemic as well. Ooh, it's it's an epidemic during the pandemic. (laughs) I like yes. the. I mean, it's. I mean, it's bad, happened before but, that no, no. as well. But. <laughs> That's not why I gave you that. Okay. <laughs> I was like trying to combine it together. So, a pandemic. A pandemic. But then it sounds like like an EpiPen has to be involved. Oh, right. Okay, wait, we'll, 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 we'll workshop it. Very serious topic. <laughs> um, no, but it is. It's absolutely crucial that it is written into the structure of so many projects, especially if you're doing outreach, because I mean, people. Absolutely, drug users need to live, right? Like, we don't want to... If, like, you're against... In my view, is like, if you're against harm reduction, if you're against safe use supplies and especially distributing Narcan, what that says to me is that you don't think drug users deserve to live, essentially. Like, and it sounds extreme, but that's kind of what it is. Just because somebody uses drugs, that does not mean that they're unworthy of basic human rights and essentials like you need to be able to you know get still water food your basic needs met and i think that in addition to that there's all this controversy over needle exchanges and um pipe distribution and stuff like that when in reality it's like it is just disease control like it's disease control and prevention like we are trying to make sure people stay safe but also we're trying to make sure people don't continuously find themselves i don't know 
No, but you're good. I got. But I think. No, no, no. I, I, I hate talking under pressure. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Like, I'm sweating so much. I'm gonna throw up. Aww. I'm gonna throw up. I hate talking under you're pressure. You're doing amazing, sweetie. No, yeah, no yeah. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs> watch, watch when when he gets done with the podcast. Like you're gonna be just like, oh, home, home reduction. Like you're gonna have an accent. Why would why would he be British? Like British. <laughs> <laughs> home reduction. Um, be, I want the Australian one. Can you do that? No, I can't. Do Hom- that. I can't help you with that. Hom- 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 reduction. No, that still sounds like it is. Home reduction. Uh, anyway, but no, but it's no. extremely important, though. Yeah, it's like it should be an absolute like. Uh, no, but like what you're yeah. saying about well, with this whole discussion on mutual aid, right? Our work is to break down barriers and also remind ourselves that there is no real hierarchy that mm. should be in, existent in. And just the way that we're all like trying to interrelate with one another. Mm. Um, one of the folks that have been like re- have reached out to us in the past, they're in their last few years of, of medical studies, and they had mentioned how they're like, yeah, um, it, I find it very interesting that a lot of people um, within these communities here in Tucson feel hesitant in in just learning more about how. Um, just like basic first aid stuff and that like you don't necessarily need to be certified in order to mm-hmm. know like how to help others help mm-hmm. with wound care help with with harm reduction yeah I think that's just one of the things that we're like providing in this instance where it's like no you are capable of doing this yes it's scary and yes focusing it would be nice focusing on but yeah no that's why it's important that like we have like safe use sites as well but mm-hmm. until then we, we we should be able to rely on each other and like educate mm-hmm. each other with this stuff yeah we need safe use sites at the very least but we also currently and it's so fucking easy it's so easy to get mm-hmm. like safe sharps boxes like mm-hmm. like sharps containers are just the easiest thing the city can do or anyone can do what Parks is that can do that basically you know those red containers with the clear top and you put needles and sharp things in there yes yeah they give them out very frequently like they're very accessible and all it would take is somebody drilling it into a thing like we've done it before at the santa rita bathroom but having those in places so that the occasional you know karen neighbor walking by can't go i saw a needle there's not a good place for people to put that overall. Mm. Like, and a lot, most people are extremely respectful with it. Mm. From my personal experience, most people are extremely respectful. But when you have a fuck ton of needles and you don't have a safe place to put it, like, it is endangering people. That's just how it is. You have to be aware of the situation that is very real and that very much exists here. And also, like, these are such simple, tiny things that they could do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just the fact that they're not willing to even acknowledge that or even like take a step forward towards that instead the city does the opposite yeah it's like, like removes like benches from bus stops yeah removes, um, like those protective it's like tell me you're tell me you're anti-houseless without telling me you're anti-houseless but also tell me you're anti-houseless that's the city <laughs> i appreciate you pointing out that it's like disease control because i don't think that addiction is always understood as a disease and i think there's sort of an assumption about, I guess, also related to how people just generally don't take mental health as seriously as they take physical health. I feel like it's all sort of wrapped up in that. And I also see that attitude from Laura Conover, from the Pima Mm -hmm. County Attorney's Office, and from Sheriff Nanos, because, Mm -hmm. you know, there is 
talking about epidemics, there's like an epidemic of deaths in the Pima County Jail. Mm. There's 39 between 2022 and September of 2023. And a lot of those actually were people who overdosed. And it just feels like when there's not these policies in place and instead the policy is incarcerate drug users, then deaths that there's just, there's a disregard for the life of drug users. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's strangely, like, it's it's so odd because you would think that politicians or people who are in power, they would understand even, like, the language of money taking part into all of this, where, like, on top of the folks who are dealing with, like, overdoses or um, folks who are in need of, like, wound care, all these other things, that that's also extremely costly. Yeah. Like, I think it's like a few thousand dollars to like um, that it costs to like take care of like an unhoused person who has to go to like the ER or something. Mm-hmm. Or detox. Yeah. yeah. Or detox. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with with prisons too. Um, with the Pima County Jail, uh, for example, where like Nanos is already like ballooning the budget and is yeah. still asking for more money. Yeah. Uh, which is so bonkers. And like, I mean, luckily the bonkers. Bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking y'all are really into Britishism. Huh? You're really into like British culture. It's like coming out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the harm reduction. Harm reduction uh, is bonkers. Is, <laughs> but no, it's it. Uh, no, I don't want to use the word. No, come on. <laughs> but say bonkers. It but, it, but it is very bonkers and wild because <laughs> the proposal is 400 million mm-hmm. for a new jail. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you all is like, in your ideal world with what you see with Community on Wheels, what could that money be used for that would make this community better than just investing it in a jail? I'm a very quick one and then I'm gonna let you take the stage. Um, But essentially social workers, advocates, absolutely. Like if you were talking about wanting to reduce the amount of people going through that system indefinitely, like you need to provide resources to folks out on the streets. More police does not equal safer communities and less crime. That has been literally proven. Like, if there are resources, if there are social workers and advocates and people to actually assist folks towards getting those services and receiving what they need, you're going to see significantly less people, like, involved in that. And that's still true, but also cops kind of do whatever the fuck they want. So, are we, am I I allowed to be anti-cop? Yes. (laughs) This is an abolitionist podcast. (laughs) ACAP 42069, though. All right, you're good. Um, But, no, what I was going to add to that was that, like, yeah, like, well, even on a nationwide scale, there's, what, 20% of people who are incarcerated are dealing with serious mental illnesses, mm-hmm. and another, like, 20% of those folks are also dealing with substance use as well. And, you know, of course, some of that... Intermixes. Yeah, some of those statistics intermix. And those folks aren't getting the services that they need in those jails at all, even though, like, with, with the King County Jail, like, Nanos is really trying to push for this whole idea of, um, what's it called, carceral humanism. Right. And that's just, it's it's nonsense. It's not really going to, it's not going to work at all, um, especially with the amount of money that would, would be needed in order to, like, provide those services effectively. And you're, like, essentially rewriting an entire system, which is not going to work. No, not at all. And I just don't think that care can exist in the prison system. That's why carceral humanism fails, because it's, like, trying to give people, like, social services that... 
they should just be getting in their free life. Mm -hmm. And respectfully to like the healthcare workers that are in the prison industry, like I just don't think that having really thought about it and like read this book called Jail Care, Mm. like I just don't think that care can exist in that setting and definitely not like addiction treatment. Like I just feel like the record speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm speaking from like experience as an educator where I've been in certain schools where they know how to properly implement like a curriculum that is supposed to be like focused on like the whole child. Um, And then I've been in other schools where they'll just overhear that, oh, this math textbook is like going to change the way that our kids think about math and they'll just purchase it, but not really have a good understanding of like the demographic that they're actually working with. And then they end up not being fully prepared for it. When I'm in spaces that talk about like housing in Tucson, when they talk about supportive services in Tucson, I feel like it's kind of the same thing with the latter situation where it's like um, the housing first initiative is going to solve everything, but it's not fully formed yet. And I don't think they're like properly addressing all the like the wide scale of issues that are going on here. And it's a shame too, because you know we've done our best to reach out to like folks who are part of those programs or those initiatives to say like, hey, we have experience with these folks. We've we've built relationships with these people. Why not like consider us as part of your team and see how we can work together to like properly figure out like mm-hmm. the solutions for this place. Yeah, you're so well spoken. I'm gonna show this to emerge. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'm playing this. I'm playing this for the emerge homies. Yeah. <laughs> You're so well spoken. Uh, um, but, but yeah, agree. Yeah. Hard agree. Thank you. Yeah. But I don't know, with like the 400 million, like, I mean, I know that we're dealing with a lack of services, with supportive services, with housing, and we can use that money to hire more workers, more caseworkers, uh, more behavioral health specialists. People that are actually trained in trauma-informed care, though. Not, like, fucking paying people $15 an hour to do... I'm not religious, but the Lord's fucking work, okay? Like, (laughs) it's hard. It's hard. Caseloads are large. Pay is bad. Yeah. It's just wild. And also... And I think... No, go ahead. Oh, no, because, like, there's also all these other, like, alternatives that I haven't seen fully implemented here yet. Um, like I know there are some permanent supportive housing services here where the whole idea is that it's for folks who aren't necessarily prepared to be independently living on their own. Um, and they have things like substance use disorders where, you know, they're provided someone, someone accessible to them. Like they either are on site or pretty nearby all of the materials that they might need or the kind of care that they might need would be there for them. Those are things that should definitely be considered for, you know, where we can allocate funds to. Mm-hmm. Um, Even just No-Tell and Wildcat. Yeah. Like, as is. Like, they're, No-Tell, Motel, and Wildcat in are really good examples of the Housing First model, which I think is, like, it. if you read it, it's up and coming in a lot of ways. Like, they are legitimately low-barrier shelters. Mm-hmm. The, the program structure is there. However, I know that they're incredibly understaffed. They have uh, very little food. They have very little hygiene. The buildings are falling apart. Some of the buildings aren't even fucking, like, they don't even own them. 
You know, like, yeah, I'm not kidding. Like, it's a gut, what? No, I'm not, not being no, 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 after saying this all, I'm like, I'm already like, I'm, I'm like listing down all the things. Oh yeah. Cause today it was announced that uh, the city acquired a mobile shower and every few, I wanna say every month there seems to be like some sort of breakdown with the mobile shower. Because they only have the one that's just yeah. like going around the whole city. Yeah, and there's like, huge needs. How many shows is it, like 12? I, I don't know. It's less. I think it's fucking less. I think it's, it's like eight. It's less, yeah. But it broke down to eight. It was supposed to be a <laughs> Hell yeah. No. I love to see it. <laughs> they Being sarcastic. <laughs> but of course it fucking did. Yeah. Of they, course it fucking were, did. And you know the crazy part? Because at Gatorade, everyone yeah. was like, men, like mentioning to announcements. It's like, hey, on Tuesday, this, oh. this mobile shower is going to be available. And there's supposed to be like services there too. And then like in the morning, it was announced that like, oh no, sorry. There's a flat tire. We can't do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> or canceling of the showers. It and it's, you have one lousy shower truck, bro. And you guys are like in the city council. They're always like, oh, we're... We have a shower truck, and it's like you you took like two years to do this with the fucking Salvation Army rented shower truck, yeah. bro. Like, come on. Like yeah. it's pathetic. It really is. Like New jail funding, no. Get a get multiple showers. Multiple right. mobile showers. Instead. And fucking staff your facilities and fucking like God, buy another god like they have this money. They do we just went to the budget meeting. They have the money. They're not allocating it. And instead they're celebrating absolutely minuscule budget increases that are not even remotely going to touch anything. Anything in reality. It's just it's ridiculous. And it's honestly like it's a joke. Like the fact yeah. that they think they can like the in general stand up there and be like, oh we're helping, we're helping, we're helping. And it's like you you have absolutely no concept of what is even needed because they're not listening mm. and that's they have the potential to do it and they definitely understand aspects of it but they are not even willing to hear us out in that point yeah. like we have been at council and said a bunch of stuff i've met with multiple city employees, people employees staff, yeah. Council. council members yeah and council members also Councilmember Fimbres, <laughs> you're bad. Shout out to Councilmember. Shout out to shout out to Ward Five. <laughs> Just kidding. You're insane. I can't believe that. Also, like brother, like step down. I feel like I shouldn't say. That. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, we've had countless conversations. It's also like they just don't respect ultimately people that. As much as they say they do, people that are actually like out doing the work because they don't want to get the little. She was dirty, ultimately. Which is, like, the most classic tale in the fucking world, but... That's what I felt. That's what I sensed happening with the Ocotillo debacle. Oh, my God, that was The city wanted to, instead of sort of taking ownership or overseeing that transition for folks who still wanted services, they just did the bare minimum and then distanced themselves because they wanted to blame other government agencies and and wanted to like not claim accountability. And then they fucking condemned the building. I do want to wait to see if they're going to end up buying that building or at least I bet they're going to tear it down. It's rough in there. Yeah. But at the same time, like that article that came out. Yeah. Yeah. I still gotta show you the op-ed I wrote. Oh <laughs> yeah, I gotta very, see that. Sassy. Um, no, yeah, and then another mutual aid member of ours had told us <laughs> that they've been trying to provide services for this one person, helping them like through the the phone services that that these like services have, where 
they were trying to do an intake with the Sun Health person and then the the intake specialist was like, oh, sorry, like we're not able to help you out at this moment because we're really trying to prioritize Alcotillo residents uh, or people who were affected by the Alcotillo situation. And it's like, really? Like you don't have enough resources or or, or support? Even like, for the Alcotillo people? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like, no, we have to like cut our corners. Yeah, here, like, no, it's like ridiculous. And even like, folks that are working in these systems like the social workers that work for the city everybody sees it and it's like mm -hmm. it sucks because it's like yes you want to be able to it's hard to choose to do social work professionally too because like you want to be able to like do the work but also finding a program or any type of like ethical company that's yeah. not like actually out for money themselves and essentially functioning as a charity mm -hmm. is hard like I like Emerge though, it's kind of sick. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> Thanks, Emerge. Because social workers are mandated reporters too, so mm -hmm. there can definitely be a cop like function that social workers can operate under. And I think it's important to keep that in mind and to like decouple mm -hmm. social work from that function of reporting stuff to the state because I do think that is an obstacle too to care. You know, feeling like if feeling like your social worker is surveilling you, mm -hmm. I think can turn mm -hmm. people off. Totally. Yeah. And then it even stinks if like the, you know, your supervisors or your higher ups have like a sort of meritocratic kind of mindset mm -hmm. where they're just like, no, we're only going to provide services to people who are like willing to do the work. Mm, who quote unquote deserve it. Right, regardless yeah. of their barriers, it's yeah. just completely right. unrealistic. Which is also extremely capitalistic. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that surprising. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're going to get them ready. Right. <laughs> we're going to get them back into the work. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, but honestly, shameless plug though. Honestly, the only company I've ever, ever, and they're a nonprofit, but that I've ever, ever worked for, and I've like bounced around in this city. Emerge is so rad. Like, truly, I'm, I'm in this four week training right now, and we're doing our introductions. Is we state like a value of the program, but then we pull Black History flashcards. It's just, it's really cool. Like, we're watching. They're actually doing the work as an organization to like, and this is weird because it sounds like a paid sponsor or something, but like, I really like it. Like they're actually cool. And like, I'm, I'm kind of What's Emerge's area of focus? So it's uh, um, advocacy and shelter and uh, case management, housing, and a bunch of different stuff for victims of domestic violence. Mm. Um, so my job in there is I'm a housing case coordinator. You're also going to be a housing case coordinator. We're about to work together. I'm really excited about it. Um, but yeah. I think I might have a candidate, by the way, but I'll talk with you about okay. yeah. But yeah, it's really cool. Um, it's predominantly for victims of uh, DV and stuff, but it also like encompasses a lot of different demographics because of that. And yeah, I'm a fan. That's awesome. How can people who live in Tucson or people who don't live in Tucson get involved in Cal's work and support your work? I say it. You can, yeah. <laughs> Give us money. I'm just kidding. I'm just yeah. kidding. But no, for real though, we're always broke. Okay. So like if you hear this and you have money that's burning a hole in your pocket, you know, maybe unlikely, but you know, like whatever. We always take donations. That's good. All right, I'm going to pass it over to you, buddy. 
Well, no, I mean, I think we covered what people outside of Tucson can do. Yeah. But other than like trying to engage with us, because I mean, if we're talking about outside of Tucson or within Arizona, it would be great to like get in touch with other groups who are also like on the ground, mm -hmm. trying to find solutions, long-term solutions, finding out how to like hold the the people we, for some reason or another, decided to elect as our, our officials. I don't um, like them. <laughs> it wasn't me personally. But like they can work with us to kind of just like advocate for for policies that are more um, about you know care for one another, more for community and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but people in Tucson, I mean, we we do we're still working on building our team. Yeah, honestly, that too. Like if you if you want to get involved, hit up the cow page. Instagram at Community on Wheels is our handle. But it, boop, but hit us up. <laughs> Hit us up and be like, hey, this is me. And, like, you can also come to Cow every Saturday mm -hmm. at 4 o'clock at Santa Rita and just say hello. Sweet. Yeah, every Saturday, 4 p.m., see you at Santa Rita Park. And if it is difficult to just be consistent to, to work with us or to, like, be fully committed, which is totally fine. Everyone has, a, you know, different levels of capacity. There's... Definitely a lot going on with how mutual aid groups in Tucson are trying to build like a sort of coalition um, just to be in solidarity with a lot of the issues that we're trying to tackle. And a lot of these groups are trying to set up rallies or trying to set up mm -hmm. events. And it's super, super important to get involved in those. Yeah. Um, just... And sharing those messages too. Mm -hmm. As dumb as it sounds, but like even just sharing a flyer if you have like a large enough following or like sending it out over text or something like that. Like, the more people that show up to these actions, the better in so many ways, for so many ways, because it also makes it safer for folks that are there. I think the next thing that we want Friday. people to go to is the November 21st Board of Supervisors meeting, because yes. that's where they're going to talk about the new jail proposal. So, Hi. if you're a Tucsonan, I'll see you there. <laughs> also, the, um, this Friday... We are also in support of our homies who are doing the Shut It Down for Palestine at Universal ABI. Universal ABI. I don't know how to I say that know. shit. <laughs> Universal <laughs> Avionics. But yeah, come to that November 17th. Sweet. The last question that I've been asking folks this season is what is something that has been inspiring you lately? Ooh. <laughs> not fucking much I'm well, sad as hell deep di you know dig deep friend uh, no that's there I'm just sad right now um you go first yeah I can go first um yeah pretty much what I mentioned already just like the fact that I think I think the last two years being involved in Cal I've, I've been so lucky and humbled to take part in this in this or in this group alongside my my captain my mentor <laughs> you say my captain yeah. don't ever call me that ever again oh my god no but like with that it was just this window of, of complete opportunity of just being able to work with people just within cal but now i feel like we're up to like the next step of how we can just continue to build next um, level, baby. yeah just community care and and advocacy and change ultimately change I'm just constantly inspired by like more people who are either like starting new groups or are like trying to figure out better ways or new ways mm -hmm. for us to work together to engage in action. I'm also inspired by that. <laughs> no way! I was gonna say the same thing. No, yeah, I think like 
um, seeing how much power there is in community action and just like when we're all able to band together and like really, really, really spread a message, I think is amazing. And I do love seeing that. I do enjoy seeing that end. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, Sabi and V, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Uh, It's really great. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. You're doing amazing. You have nothing to be sorry about. Bye. Thank you for listening to Radio Cachimbona. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist podcast hosted and produced by Yvette Borja. The audio archives state repression and fierce migrant resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands and breaks down case law and politics from a leftist perspective. Yvette prioritizes uplifting the voices and histories of Central Americans as a first-generation professional whose parents are Salvadoran immigrants. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, becoming a patron is the best way to do so. You can go to patreon.com slash become a monthly subscriber. You'll get exclusive access to the lit reviews, which are book club style chats with other women of color. If you are having financial difficulties right now and can't support in that way, but still want to, the best way to do so is to leave an Apple rating in review or Spotify rating. I see every single one. You can continue thinking about these topics and discussing them with others on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Radio Cachimbona. I really, really appreciate it. Bye, Cachimbonas!